Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. It's happening. Hello? It's happening right now. It's happening. It's happening. Okay. It's happening. The podcast is happening. Uh. We made it. Hi. Hi. (laughs) 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 We're here. We're here talking about Animorphs. I just hear this pigeon in the background. I mean, that's the pigeons are always, always there, watching yeah. and waiting. Yeah. Luckily, Axe doesn't know what a pigeon is, so this that's won't true. bother him too much. That's true, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's what he says. He said it in this book. Which is strange, because I think he's been on Earth long enough that he should know what a pigeon is. I feel like... He probably should have some knowledge of the nearby flora and fauna. Yeah. Unless... He knows what earthworms are. Unless pigeons are just so common, and, like, when he's hanging out with the other animorphs who could potentially point out what a pigeon is, he's just kind of like... Or, like, they're so common that they just don't think to tell him what it is. I feel like Tobias would, though, because he's got such a prejudice against pigeons and seagulls and crows that, like... He'd be like, oh, there's those no-good pigeons over there. I hate those. And then Axe would be like, ah, that is a pigeon. Yeah, but as evidenced in previous books and in this book, Axe doesn't always pay attention. That's, yeah, that's probably the more likely scenario, is they have pointed out pigeons to him, and he was just like, but there was a game on later, and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) There was a female. (laughs) There was a female. (laughs) No longer pay attention. Oh, no. Yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. He also dreams of cinnamon buns. Don't we all, though? I mean, yeah, let's be honest. I mean, maybe not cinnamon buns particularly, but I did have a dream the other night about cheesecake. That's a great dream. I mean, it was until I woke up and realized I didn't have any, but now I do, so like (laughs) dreams do come true. It was an attainable dream. It was an obtainable. That's <laughs> the most important thing about reaching your dreams is setting small obtainable dreams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been seeing all these quotes go around lately about like how your dreams should scare you and things, but Why? I think my dreams should all just be like you know, so that like you dream big, so that like you go after those big scary dreams that you never thought you could do, and then when you do it, you're like proud of yourself or whatever oh so it's not like discouraging you by saying your dreams are too big and scary okay yeah it's like saying go after that scary dream you can do it gotcha and like instead i'm like no make them easy yeah (laughs) yeah they they have books and and self-help uh recipes for this like your your 12 steps to making your dream happen mine was even shorter mine was like one go to the store Two, buy cheesecake. 
That's it. <laughs> Two-step program. <laughs> Step one, draw a circle. Step two, draw the rest of the fucking owl. <laughs> the accurate way to draw animals. <laughs> Uh, those are the two steps, though. I mean, basically. I mean, you don't even have to draw the circle. It can be a one-step. Draw the fucking animal. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. That's an easier one. Welcome to my one-step program, how to draw animals. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I just... God, when people ask you, like, oh, wow, you drew that. How did you do that? It's like, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept drawing it until it didn't look shitty anymore. <laughs> I like it when you're like sitting there drawing something and then somebody looks over your shoulder and they're like, did you draw that? <laughs> you just kind of look at them up and I'm like, no. <laughs> Actually, this dude next to me did. Yeah. And I just, right when you looked over, took it away from them and started drawing it myself to ruin it because I'm a bully. <laughs> oh. I like it when I'm drawing something and, like, uh, sometimes if I'm, like, at, like, um, just fairs or whatever and, like, I'm just, like, you know, there's no people around. Because if, you may not know this audience, but when you're at, like, craft shows or whatever or art shows, a lot of the time it's just nobody's near you and you're just sitting alone, like, thinking about nothing. So, like, sometimes I'll draw stuff that I can see in the room and people will, like, come by and they'll be like, oh, that's that tree over there pretty good right that i knew it was that tree over there and i'm like i am a pretty good drawer so you knew it was that tree over there yeah yeah yep. it's cool yep. <laughs> dear god we have to do something to entertain ourselves because i kid you not you get the same freaking five questions all day long sometimes for multiple days in a row <laughs> and it's like you just gotta entertain yourself after a while yep the most exciting time is when there's food offered to you <laughs> That's always an exciting time. Yeah, it's the best time. Speaking of food. Speaking of cinnamon. This boy. Everyone's favorite, favorite location on earth. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been to a mall in like two years, actually. Really? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very neglected. I've neglected my need to go to the mall. I, you know what, I probably wouldn't have gone, except I did need to do an escape room, and it was in a mall, so I went to one. But, like, I went to hang out at a mall for the first time not too long ago, and I was like, there was this little kid with me, and I was like, hey man, if this were the 90s, this would be pretty freaking cool right now. (laughs) (laughs) And the kid was like, what? What? Well, it would have been cooler if anybody had asked me to clear tables and I had misunderstood it in so catastrophic a way. <laughs> and that's how this book opens, with Axe demanding cinnamon buns from the cinnamon bun lady. And uh, she was like, I, d- I don't know what to do. And then uh, he's trying to get a job there so he can pay for the said cinnamon buns that he's demanding. And they're like, we like this is unprecedented. This is not how people come and get jobs at our establishment. So the manager took pity on him and was like, if you go clear some tables, then like you know I'll I'll, I'll exchange that for some cinnamon buns. And he's like, okay, God, I've got this. <laughs> I like how she's like, I can't give you a job because you're underage, but free labor, perfectly acceptable. I feel like she this whole time. My impression of this interaction was she was very, very sure that he was, like, touched in the head or, like, special needs. And so she was just trying to fulfill that whole, like, 
and that you're like, I'm being nice to you and we're having a normal interaction that maybe you can get something from and then I'll reward you for it for like a very like menial task kind of a thing. Oh, or he's not getting fed at home. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. She does mention like, you poor starving thing. Like, oh God, no one's fed you kind of a thing. Oh. Like she's... I feel like she's really doing her best, even though it, like, yeah, it's, like, she is getting free labor kind of a thing, but she's doing her best to help him. Yeah, she's a good person. She's she's a good person that something terribly, terribly bad happened to. (laughs) (laughs) Because she's, like, she's trying her best, like, to help him and, like, oh, go clear these tables. And he just starts, like eating the abandoned food and then he gets to a table with two cinnamon buns that he's like oh they looked brand new and he's like i need to clear your table and they're like hey we just bought these we haven't even eaten these yet and he was like oh thank god and he took their cinnamon buns and like tried to eat them oh my god (laughs) like it was just the best (sighs) oh i was just like who let this boy run around in the mall by himself yeah, he decided to go on his very own mall adventure. Oh, just like in the TV show. Just like in the TV show. Oh. Except he didn't have any money in Jake's jacket pocket. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. At the end of it, the manager, like, after, like, promising these people two new cinnamon buns, she kind of, like, takes him into the back of, like, the cinnamon area and is like... I get it, you're starving, I, like, you poor thing, just eat, just eat one. Like, these, I can't sell these anymore, they're stale, just eat one. And then, that's kind of, like, cut to black on the scene. (laughs) (laughs) As he blacks out from eating way too many of them. Yeah, as we find out immediately after, because Marco (laughs) is telling, Marco finishes telling this story, and Axe does mention, like, she was very vague. Did she mean one cinnamon bun, one tray? Like, what? (laughs) It could be interpreted as many things. Yeah, so we cut to Marco finishing telling this story. Um, They're now in the woods outside of Cassie's house. And Marco's giving the very dramatic rendition of how there was, like, people all over the food court and paramedics and so on. And he just had this premonition, like, oh, Axe is involved in this somehow. Why did you leave him alone? But I don't think anyone knew he was there. Like, I really think Axe did this by himself. Because nobody was like, oh, we should have kept an eye on him. Marco was like, I was just there to get tacos. We need, like, a leash for Axe. They need a child leash. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Axe. Cassie was right when she said, what was the book where she said something about, like, how Axe is, like... Oh, yeah. He's so brave, brave and honorable, and, and then he turns mm-hmm. into a human, and he's horrible. And he's just awful. Yeah, uh, I think this is what she was talking about when she said that. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of mean to say, but then... <laughs> but then this true. It's like, it all is, right, point taken. It is kind of true. Oh, God. No That's- self-control. None. None to speak of. None whatsoever. He even eats, like, he unwads some garbage and, like, licks some unknown substance off whatever wadded up garbage he found, which is distressing in so many ways. Oh, yeah, he ate, like, some ketchup, and he was like, it was okay, but not amazing. And I'm like, or you would take cigarette butts over ketchup? Any day of the week. Oh, my God. Uh... I'm worried about this boy. Yeah, he's not doing the best job. And, like, the sad part of this is he really thinks he's playing a passable human. Like, he really is like, I did a good job. 
He makes this big deal in the opening by saying, I'm really good at this. Honey, no. You're you're, you're very bad at this, actually. <laughs> he tries. He does. He does. Um, yeah, so Marco's recounting the scene and uh, talking about how he knew it was Axe involved somehow. And then he went over to some girl to ask her. And, like, Rachel interjects, like, oh, so you thought you could use this scene of chaos to talk to a chick that was way out of your league. And Marco was like, yes. So... Anyways, what else happened was that X was unaware of the fact that human stomachs have limits. And, uh, yeah, so I think they had to pump his stomach of all the cinnamon buns. Is that what you were getting here? I wasn't sure. I think he just, like, probably collapsed and had a really bad (laughs) Blacked out. Yeah, possibly blacked out. He did mention that his stomach hurt terribly. Yeah. He was like, I did not realize human stomachs were not built to eat a tray of cinnamon buns. I had a friend who, um, that's how he ended up dieting. He would just, like, take one thing he really loved and just eat so much of it that he felt sick and use that as a deterrent from ever eating that thing again. And he lost, like, I don't know know how much weight he lost, but he lost a significant amount of weight doing that. Wow. I was like, damn. I mean... Nothing will stop Axe, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just gets to morph out of that stomach yeah. ache, but jeez. <laughs> wow. I've never heard of a diet like that before. No. I don't know if it's, like, a diet TM, but... <laughs> a diet <laughs> I think it's TM. A technique. Yeah. If I ever start a diet company, that's exactly what I'm going to call it. <laughs> a diet A diet TM. TM. <laughs> Oh god. Uh, that's funny. Yes. Um but yeah, so they 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 have their moment where they talk about stomachs having limits and so on and so forth. Uh and we get a quick description at this point of like Marco, Rachel, Cassie, Tobias. I don't think like Jake not really. We didn't really get a description of Jake, but whatever. Um and then he talks about watches and time and how humans are always thinking it is earlier or later than it is, but he doesn't know what it is exactly. <laughs> it is a concept. It is a concept and he does not understand it as a concept. <laughs> um and then sure enough, Jake checks his watch which he's never had before and doesn't have again. <laughs> and <laughs> he says Eric that she is he thought it was earlier than it was or something anyways eric is on time um and as eric shows up they're like shooting the shit with him and uh he mentions that of course he didn't come alone he has his entourage there in case anything goes wrong and even tobias can't stop him his entourage yes and uh tobias of course immediately spots the brand new tree that just sprouted up and some rocks and stuff i love that yeah, me too. Especially because Tobias did, like, this super cool maneuver of, like, oh, we're all clear. Except for the giant tree and the rock over there. <laughs> he was his sassy, so sassy. boy, Tobias. <sighs> yep, and then he's like, I will never un- underestimate you again, Brother Hawk. Brother like, oh. Hawk. Yeah, it was it was a weird... I, I don't know, that was a weird moment for me. When yeah. he called him Brother Hawk. Yeah. Eh. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever, Eric with a K. <laughs> Erek. Erek. Yeah, so it, they, they then uh, talk about what it was that Eric came to tell them, and that is that the second in command of the president's secret security, secret service, 
is in a hospital in their area and no one knows he's there. And also he was hit by a mysterious car. Also this <laughs> car, it was driven by Chapman. Uh. Is it a year conspiracy? No one knows. <laughs> it definitely uh. is. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Yep. yep. And this guy's name is Aldershot the third. <laughs> <laughs> Which Marco's very upset about. Yes. He, this is one of those jokes he won't let go. Yes, yeah. And even when we, the reader, are like, oh my god, Marco, let it go, he will <laughs> not. That's, I love that, though, because it's like some authors are like, they'll react to like a criticism like that and be like, oh no, we had to make it, like, you know, so like it's nice for the book, blah, blah, blah. But it really just lends this like realism to Marco as a person. Like, he really is that annoying sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, it's hemorrhoids. Yeah. <laughs> hemorrhoids, Jake. Yeah, we get it, Marco. No, hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> this is another one where it's like every time they talk about him, he's like, why did they give the name a third time? Didn't the first two Alder shots get beat up enough? Who names <laughs> their kid that? <laughs> yep. And funny enough, that's how chapter two ends. And chapter three starts with cut to the next day when they're, they're on the scouting mission as seagulls at the hospital. And Marco's still like, why would you ever name your kid that? It's like, Marco, <laughs> it's been 24 hours. Stop it. Jesus. I don't know. This is just like the kind of joking that like I'm totally on board with. Like I'd be this annoying person like two days later. Like, you gotta get the joke. <laughs> you gotta get it. Relentless. Relentless. Uh, but yeah, so they're hanging out on the roof as seagulls, just, you know, talking about nothing in particular other than this guy's name and, uh, you know, what's going on. And Rachel's and giving him shit. Rachel's giving him shit, and she's very upset at Jake that he made her go on this mission with Marco, who's annoying. Um, Axe is not doing anything terribly wrong or different than usual. Then he notices a familiar human walking into the hospital. It's Visor 3 in his human morph. Da da da. Uh, yeah, very early Visor 3 movement in this book. Normally it's, you know, later. But that's, of course, just the uh, the hallmark of a book where Visor 3 is not the main battle. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, he's in there threatening some doctors. Uh, he enters the hospital and ends up morphing back to himself. And that's like... I think this is when the kids realize, like, just how infiltrated this hospital is. Because they're like, oh, he wouldn't do that unless he was super comfortable with where he was. They mentioned several books ago that uh, they were starting to really focus on taking over hospitals. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. Oh, no, that was book six, right? When Jake got infested? Because they broke into yep. a hospital? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was in the, the hot tub. Yeah. Yeah, jeez. That's... Yeah, not good. <laughs> it's probably the same hospital, too. Could be, yeah. But yeah, so, um, of course, as soon as Visitor 3 is him, his normal self, he starts just screaming thoughts freak at whoever is in range without a care in the fucking world. God, he's so bad. He's so terrible at being a bad guy. Does he just like to flaunt how, like, scary he can be? So yes. he makes sure everybody in the entire radius knows that he is currently upset yep he just wants to be intimidating and everybody be scared of him and like 
he just wants to scream at everybody and everything so they know how little he's afraid of what's happening. What an idiot. He, yeah. Anyways, um, he's screaming at the doctors, and what we get from the one-sided conversation is that the doctors are telling him that uh, Chapman hit Aldershot too hard with his car, and so he'll be in a coma, and they're not sure when he's coming out of it. And Visitor 3 is like, if you don't get him out of this coma in three days, you're the ones who are going to be very sick. And so it's like, if you don't bring this guy out of a coma in three days, we're going to kill you. Yeah, he's talking like like uh, the guy is like a broken thing that needs fixing. It's not like he needs time to heal. No, it's like, fix him now. And it's yeah. like, wow, you really don't understand how humans work. Not, he has no understanding at all. And the other part of it is, is they mentioned during the conversation, or Visor 3 screams during the conversation, that they said something about his brainstem, and like, that means that even if the yerk got into his head, he wouldn't necessarily have control of the body, right. I think. Yeah, basically he's screaming about that. Uh, gives him three days, they'll be dead. Um, and then Visitor 3 says he's going to acquire Aldershot as well, because he's like, I can't play him every day, but at least I'll have access to the people he knows. And uh, apparently one of the doctors at that point says, oh, see, everything worked out for the best. And so Visitor 3 just, like, slams that doctor across the room. Wow. Um, Visitor 3's talking about, like, oh, I can, you know, morph him and then get control of uh, his boss and then I'll take her over. But I'm assuming he means that he'll have somebody take over her. Because, again, he he probably doesn't want to give up uh, Aloran's body. Right? Oh, God. Yeah, he definitely have okay. somebody else take over. He just he will have access then. Yeah. So then Visa 3 spots the seagulls outside the window and Jake is like, Marco's the one that notices it, and he says, he's eyeballing us, he's eyeing us. And Jake's like, okay, everybody, like, one at a time, scatter, get out of here, don't make it look suspicious, look natural. And uh, as they're trying to enact this plan, Visor 3 just comes crashing out of the hospital window, and he's morphed a caffet bird, and he's going after them. And Axe is totally taken aback. Because he's like, he must have been on my home planet if he has this caffet bird morph. Oh my god. And once again, I th I'm relatively sure we've talked about this before. He probably had that morph before he was taken as a controller. Yeah. Like, for sure, right? Well, hmm. So, this is jumping ahead, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but they mentioned at some point that... The and all Andalites have the power to morph, but not a lot of them use it. Usually only if they're, like, spies or something. Yeah. yeah. So, since Aloran was a uh, was a warrior, do you think he would have that morph? I think he would. And I'm looking back now towards Andalite Chronicles when they say they got the Kaffet bird morph kind of as, like, a fun thing they did as at the Academy to, like, you know, break the rules... I can mm -hmm. totally see him having the morph from that point. Okay. But, yeah, I mean... Because I know Elfanger had that morph. Yeah, yeah, because he did that yeah, screwing was, yeah. around at the Academy thing. Yep. Hmm. I think he might, but, I mean... 
there's there's basically there's a lot of ways to get this morph and Axe is yeah. just freaking out because he thinks that uh Visor 3 has been on the Andalite homeworld now. Um it, I feel like there was an earlier book where I had pointed out like hey, they mentioned something about like the homeworld had been taken, but I forgot if Axe knew about that. Like there were there was some line dropped earlier that was kind of an indicator that someone had been on the home world. Maybe I'm misremembering. I don't specifically remember that line. Or I don't okay. remember that conversation. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean it didn't happen. It just yeah. means I don't remember it. Um Yeah, but it's I, I mean basically there's just there's a lot of ways that he could have gotten that morph. But uh Axe is convinced that everybody has fallen. And mm-hmm. it's it's foreshadowing is really yeah. what it is. Yeah, that's true. Foreshadowing. But yeah, so Visitor 3 comes bursting out of this window. He goes after Axe, who is trying to get away, but like the six-winged bird, surprise, surprise, is a little faster than the two-winged bird. <laughs> Couldn't be because he has, you know, three times the amount of wings, but whatever. Um, but Axe realizes that he is slightly more maneuverable than Visitor 3. So he goes, like, first does this kind of move where he goes up above him and Visor 3 just like passes him quickly in the air and then Visor 3 goes do you want to try that again but instead what Axe does is goes towards the roof of McDonald's where he just flies repeatedly through the arches of the (laughs) M (laughs) yeah and Visor 3 cannot keep up Uh, but of course Axe is also you know flying like crazy to stay away from him so he ends up clipping the edge of his wing where he goes tumbling onto the roof and he tumbles between like a heating cooling unit type deal and starts demorphing um once he gets too big he kind of hops out of there and realizes that visor three is also demorphing and so now we have a face-to-face tail fight which is pretty fucking intense um but the Interesting thing about this is that when Axe is looking at Visor 3, he realizes that he looks a little scared. So, Casey, my question for you, why do you think Visor 3 looks scared? Because he's a fucking idiot who doesn't know how to fight. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, that was my first instinct was um, he's going up against another Andalite who, I mean, I think he knows that Axe is younger Mm because I think based on the past, he's like, oh, you're just a little kid, baby. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure how comfortable he is doing battle as an Andalite with another Andalite, and he knows that they're fast and deadly, and, um, well, and the other thing is, Axe has almost gotten him before, um, I think, I think it was in Axe's last book when Axe, uh, bit him, and... Uh, Aloran got poisoned and Visor 3 actually like crawled out of his head. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's remembering that a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that's just misplacing, but mostly the first thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> so when you just said that too, I, I knew that you meant bit him as a snake, but I just got this like mental <laughs> image of Axe just like chomping on his leg. <laughs> with, with his no mouth. <laughs> with his no Andalite mouth. Oh God. Yeah, I um I agree with you. I think that's definitely it. And then the only other part of it that occurred to me was again like looking back to Andalite Chronicles because 
um, Aloran would know how good Elfangor was at tail fighting. I wondered if he got Visitor 3 all concerned, like, oh, if Elfangor is that good, he must have taught his brother who had, you know, mm-hmm. training with him and so on. So I think there is lots of reasons to be scared. Yeah. But yeah. Yup. Um, so Axe is totally poised to fight, ready to go, at attention. The other Animorphs gather around the roof and get ready to, like, jump into the battle and jump into the fray. Mostly Rachel. Rachel mostly is ready to jump into the battle. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, she's the one who's like, let's demorph. And Jake's like, no, like, we'll we'll give ourselves away as humans. And she's like, you know, you don't understand. He's not going to live for it to matter. Yeah, Rachel has no confidence in Axe's (laughs) abilities at all. (laughs) She's like, I will tear him apart. Yeah, she's like, I'll I'll do it, but Axe for sure will die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he doesn't have to worry about this because basically as soon as Visitor 3 gets a chance, he jumps off the roof and lands in a dumpster, breaking his own leg. He jumps <laughs> into the trash where he belongs. He does. He's <laughs> stupid fucking trash monster like oh he is. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then he, he just glares he's... at Axe from the trash can. Right, with his and then, like, dangling. And then, like, he starts morphing into a human, and Axe says, like, as his mouth formed, he started smirking at me. About what? He just jumped off a roof into a dumpster. He, like, shouldn't be like, haha, gotcha. Like, you'll you never catch me. Uh... No, he will. He could just dump in the. He could literally wait until Visit 3 was a human trying to scramble out of the inside of a dumpster, which, by the way, is really hard. And then he could just jump down there and behead him. And guess what? Visit 3's dead. Uh... Such an idiot. He's such an idiot. Like, there's no reason to be excited about this. Ugh. I don't know. And I guess the only reason they don't do it is because this whole commotion attracted, like, actual people who were like, I swear a blue deer horse jumped into the dumpster. (laughs) Oh, no, it's just this middle-aged man. Never mind. (laughs) God. Um, These people are dumb. Well, if I may backtrack a little bit. um, Yes. There was at one point... um, uh, Axe was the seagull and he was trying to escape Visitor 3, the Caffet bird. And mm-hmm. Jake and the others were flying towards him. And Axe was like, no, stop. Like, don't try and help me or else he'll he'll know that I'm not just a regular seagull. And mm-hmm. Jake's like, hell no, don't try to be a hero. And I just thought that was really interesting because we had that conversation a while ago about how Jake has had to leave Axe behind a couple of times. Yeah. And now he's not willing to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, okay, this is, since you said that, a thought occurred to me. And it's almost like Jake leaves people behind or doesn't leave them behind based off of how much they were able to handle in the past, kind of. Like, that's why he never leaves, like, Cassie or Tobias, because they've already, Uh like, been hurt, kind of. But Rachel, he would, like, leave. Yeah, So I wonder if, like, Axe is being hurt enough times from this that Jake's like, okay, never mind, you're not one of the ones I can leave to fend for themselves. Yeah. (laughs) Probably not, but it's a thought. Or maybe Jake was uh, remembering just the last like major battle that they had where he turned into the rhino and he had to leave them behind and he absolutely hated it. So maybe he's just like, I'm not leaving people behind anymore. That's true. Yeah. No, that, that probably, that could totally be it as well. 
And it really, like, throughout this whole book, it really kind of felt like Jake was coming into his own. I freaking love Jake in this book. Me too. Jake has been really good in the last, this, two books. The last book in this book. Yeah. No, wait. The Rachel's book was last. Yeah. So, Jake's own book and this book. He's been really, he's uh-huh. been really awesome. Yeah. I don't remember him too much in Rachel's book, but that's because Rachel doesn't observe much beyond herself specifically. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if um again going back into a conversation we had where depending on which character is narrating, they see the other characters in kind of a different way than yes. other characters see them. So because um Axe admires Jake so much, maybe he just like this book is kind of playing Jake up a little bit more. Yeah, that could totally be it. And especially as we move through, like, the questions and stuff in this book, too. Uh, um, um, um. So we cut to later that night. And Axe is running through Cassie's Meadow while it's raining because, you know, mood. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) he's, like, eating at first. And then he just starts contemplating the fight that had happened and how Visor 3 got away. And he's having this internal turmoil about like i wanted to fight him i'm glad i didn't have to i really want to like get try to defend my brother's honor but what if i die like he's he's just going through this like terrible conundrum and so he just starts running faster and then tries to jump a fence which he kind of hits with one foot and then he just starts like you know realizing that hey i've been running for a while and i'm kind of winded so he comes to a stop under tobias's tree conveniently um, and Tobias wakes up very angry at him because he came through the forest like a bunch of, uh, how did he put it? Deflated elephants? A herd of... It was something I wouldn't use to describe elephants. I looked it up. It was a herd of ruptured elephants. Ruptured. It was something kind of relating to balloons losing air quickly. Yeah, but like, that doesn't auditorily make sense. Yeah, again, not a word that you would used to describe elephants ever i wonder if this is a tobias thing like he kind of has that like he gets things just slightly wrong a lot of the time like when trying to use common idioms he like just doesn't quite get it Hmm. i don't know i've noticed a few times where he said something that i'm like "Mm, that's not really it but good try Mm -mm. (laughs) yeah he he wakes tobias up tobias is very, very cranky about this. and uh, <laughs> I would be. I would be, too. After he gives Axe shit for a minute, he's like, oh, so you're stewing again. And Axe is like, what What does this mean? This stewing word, what does this mean? And Tobias is like, you know when things go around, around and around in your head and you think about it over and over again. And Axe is like, how did you know? Because um, Tobias does it a lot, I bet. Yes, he does. <laughs> because Tobias does do it a lot. And uh, then Axe brings up, you know, the Caffet bird morph, and Tobias is like, oh, well, what if somebody just took it off-world for, like, a zoo or whatever, and he got it that way? Like, he's like, there's multiple ways this could happen. And Axe is like, sure. And then, basically, Tobias is like, okay, I guess I'll drop it then. And Axe is like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird conversation. It was a weird conversation. When they were talking about... I don't know if you're leading into this, but when they were talking about uh, Visser 3 running away and mm-hmm. Axe was like, I had the chance to to take him down and I failed again. And 
he retreated with honor. It's it's kind of like you'd think that would be the opposite of honor. Like you think retreat and you think cowardice, but then I remembered that we talked about the Yurks and the Andalites will cut and run if the time calls for it, but humans yeah. won't. So Yeah. I mean I don't even know like how that could be considered with honor because like theoretically if we're talking about like honor how I think they are. There's no way that they that the other Animorphs, if they were Andalites, would morph and go and, like, fight him as well. Like, that would not be honorable. When two people are engaged in battle, and since Axe has to avenge his brother, you figure the honorable thing would be they have to fight, and if Vizzer 3 backs down, then that's dishonorable, because he has to fight to avenge his brother. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's any way that him jumping into a dumpster could be called honorable. <laughs> yeah. Cases. Um, so then we cut again to a meeting the next day in the barn where I, it does not specifically say the next day. I added that. I'm sorry. I'm embellishing this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they cut to the barn where they're having this meeting and... They are coming up with this insane mission, and X is, of course, zoning out, as per usual. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I think it was Cassie, says to him, like, hey, X, are you paying attention? And X is like, yes, yes, I am paying attention. She's like, okay, well, I just thought you weren't because Marco's asked you the same question twice, and you're just staring off in a space. And he just goes, ah, tell me a third time. I will listen then. <laughs> what did he daydream about before cinnamon buns? I guess girls and games. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, I don't even know. Help this child. Yeah, he's like, he's like got Andalite ADD or something. Possibly. <laughs> oh my god, he's in just, he's out of it. Um, he was again like just stewing on the whole. Mm-hmm. Catholic bird thing. But um so they're talking and Marco brings up that Visor three morphing into the Catholic bird was sending a message to him. Mm-hmm. And Axe is kinda like, What do you mean? And he's like, he's saying, Hey, I'm on your home turf. And they go through these rounds of like expressions and when it gets to Jake, he tries to like interject <laughs> like into the joke and then it's just like, Ah, fuck it. I don't know one. Never mind. Oh. Pass. <laughs> Poor Jake. <laughs> he was it was just so good. Like, Jake was just like, I'm done. I don't know. Oh, I love this new thing of Jake not being able to, like, pretend to be a normal kid. Or, like, tell a joke. He always tries to tell a joke and no one ever laughs. But they're, they're talking about this calf at birth thing and the message he was trying to send. And then Cassie goes, but back to the real question. What are we going to do about Aldershot? And Marco, like, shoots his hand up and he's like, change his name! Ugh. Because it's Marco. <laughs> um, and and then Cassie's they... like, he's in a vegetative state. Like, he's being really <laughs> insensitive right now. And Marco's like, he's a tomato, a cucumber. And Rachel's like, isn't a tomato a fruit? And he's like, what I'm saying is he's broccoli. <laughs> he's an asparagus. And Cassie's like, well, now that we're all being sensitive, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, call him out. I loved it. Cassie was like, thanks, Marco, for using proper terminology for a very delicate situation. Right. Ugh. Uh, I love it so much. Um, 
But yeah, the reason they're talking about that is because they are they want to acquire him as a morph to get like to try and alert people like hey, there's aliens, and they're saying if Aldershot came in and said that, no one would believe him, but if he came in and then morphed to a rhino, they might. Um, and then they start talking about the idea of consent again, which mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't even say they cover it more in depth. It's just, again, they're hitting on those notes of, like, we have to get permission. Um, and then that's when Marco goes on his rant about what kind of vegetable he is. <sighs> which is super nice of you, Marco. Yeah. Um... And then Cassie, who hates this idea, and again, they never, like, really come to a conclusion about what they're going to do, but then Cassie goes, I hate this, I don't agree with it, I don't think we should acquire him without consent, but, like, could we get his DNA from blood? And X is like, yes. And they're all like, oh, this is gross, this is gross, this is super, super, super gross. (laughs) Uh, And we find out in the next chapter, the reason it's super gross is because they're going to morph mosquitoes to get his blood. Ew. It's it's gross. And Axe makes some comment, like, when humans say things are gross, they're usually right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Ugh. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. And then there is some interesting, um, just from the technological perspective, there's something interesting he said here as well about, like, you know, Rachel says something like, oh, all the diseases you could get from blood. And Axe makes a comment like, no, 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 yeah, that won't happen. It's kept at a low stabilized temperature or something like that. It's just like, it was just an interesting aside. Like, technologically, I don't think it's sound, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Well, wasn't he it's... also saying that, like, because you're only absorbing the DNA, like, the the sickness isn't part of the DNA? Yeah, yeah. But that, like, what about, like, I don't know. Aren't there some sort of disease? Obviously, genetic anomalies and stuff you pick up. Like, there's got to be some diseases that affect DNA in a way that would be picked up with morphing. Yes. Anyways, that was an interesting aside. It was just, like, a small mention. It doesn't, like, add up to anything in this book, but it was just an interesting kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um... Yes. So, again, conversations about consent. They just kind of bypass this and go with Cassie's gross mosquito plan. Um, So they get to the hospital. They fly over there. They decide they're going to create a distraction for everybody to morph mosquito and get into the room with Aldershot. And they're trying to decide who's going to go. And Axe points out, hey, an Andalite would be a great distraction in this situation. And they're like, you know what? You're right. Instead of Rachel's idea, which was, I'll go elephant and have Jake go rhino, and we'll just bulldoze this place to the ground. (laughs) (sighs) I love Rachel. (laughs) Her solution is always to just burn it to the ground. (laughs) No subtlety. None. None whatsoever. I love it so much. (laughs) She's like, the direct approach is the best approach. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so Axe is like, why don't I just morph into Andalite instead and go running around the hallways? And they're like, well, okay. So he flies into an, un, well, what I guess what he thinks is an unoccupied room, but it turns out there's a little girl in there who just like wakes up and sees him demorphing and is like, what are you? 
And he's like, I am an Andalite. My name is Axmili still. And she's like, okay, and goes back to bed. <laughs> oh, my God. Let me tell you my life story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, well, one, why are you telling her all of this information? And two, wh- why? Why is she even like, oh, well, that makes sense. Good night. Like, <laughs> it's just out of control. So you just told this little girl more information about yourself than you would ever tell any of the animorphs when you were withholding information. Yeah, exactly. God. <laughs> Whatever. <Ugh. laughs> oh, Axe, you poor, poor boy. Mm. Um, yeah, so anyways, he, he morphs to his, or demorphs to his aunt and delight self, and he walks out into the hallway and walks basically right up to two doctors who are then like, oh, it's a mutant deer. Oh, my God. And then they're like, hey, Terry, stop playing jokes on us. It's not funny anymore. Damn it, Terry. <laughs> Who's Terry? What does he do know. to these doctors? I don't know. This is the side story I need to know. <laughs> somebody write a Terry fan fiction. Yeah, somebody write a Terry fan fiction and all the shit he gets up to at the Yurk Hospital. Please. <laughs> um, but it's not Terry. Uh, and eventually, like, other people are screaming and freaking out. There's a food cart that goes flying. And then a controller comes out of Aldershot's room and is like, Andalite! And he's going to start shooting. And Axe is like, oh, there's innocent people everywhere. So his solution is to yell, I defect. Yeah, like, like they're gonna really going to believe that after you just, like, took a bunch of them out. Right. Ugh, whatever. Right. No kidding. He admits that he didn't think the plan through. No, but he, it was a good, well, I don't know about good. It was an interesting instinct for someone especially who's so steeped in honor to be yeah. like, oh, I give up. Yeah. Um, and then my one of my favorite moments happens right after this, where Axe is escorted into the room where all the controllers are, and the guy goes, you want to join us? And Axe says, actually, no. And then, like, just tears them <laughs> apart. Like, <laughs> he's like, I regretfully must decline. <laughs> so he starts trying to take him down. And then the controller starts shooting. And Axe goes, I learned this from Visor 3. And then charges the window and jumps out of the window into the bushes below. Like, Okay, here's the thing. Visor 3 was in that room with the guy. Mm-hmm. And then saw the seagulls, and then burst through the window as the caffet bird. And maybe I missed this in the text, but Axe jumps out the same window. So was there glass, or was it just like <laughs> plastic sheeting, or like what? What? I see. I don't know because we've it's happened before where they put up plastic sheeting, and all the animals are like, I don't know if we can get through that. So right. Like, but, like, the Maybe window would have already been broken. Know. They can't repair it overnight, Yeah, right? no, they, they can't. It can definitely take longer. Right, so, do you, like, uh, okay, I don't know. What if there's just, like, cardboard in the window? And yeah. And is like, ha Or, like, plywood or something. Yeah, oh, God. He would have hit that and fallen to the ground. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe it was, like, one of the windows in the room was broken, and so they had just, like, oh. started fixing it, and then Axe jumped out another window next to it, and they're like, <laughs> God damn it, why? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably a better explanation. I don't know. This this situation 
was out of control. And the only reason I can even think that there'd be more than one window is because I believe they mentioned that there was two full rooms that they, like, combined into this one area where oh, normally sure. it would house, like, two people. That's a, So, yeah. I assume there's, like, one window for the one person and then one window for the other, like, room area. But, yeah. It, there could have been a lot of funny stuff done here with, like, plastic sheeting or plywood. Or <laughs> Axe, like, watch this! And then he just bounces off the window. <laughs> I was like, oh, that I didn't go to, to point. I meant that. And then he jumps out the other window. <laughs> the guy installs a new window and he goes, all right, all done. And then Axe shatters <laughs> through the same window. There could have been a lot happening here. Ugh. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so Axe jumps into the bushes below and starts morphing Mosquito immediately. And these guys just start shooting out the window and they're having conversations like, what are we shooting at? I don't know, just keep shooting! <laughs> like, oh my god, you, freaking stormtroopers over here. If you don't want to get fired, just keep shooting! And they're like, there's sirens in the background, and they're like, oh, the cops are gonna get us, and they're like, but Visitor 3 will get us more, just keep shooting! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these guys are dedicated to their job. This is like the three stooges defend the hospital here. Yeah, they're so stupid! Like, of they, course these... X doesn't want to join you. Let's, like, bring him into a room without, like, tying him up first. And then be like, right? hey, man, so you, you really want to join our club, man? Like, come you... on, idiots. And he even says, like, when they asked, really, you want to join us? It was with disbelief. Like, the guy still was like, I don't think this is real, but oh. doesn't take any precautions. Jesus. Oh, my God. These oh, guys. Well. These controllers, I tell ya. Well, I mean, um, look look to who the, they were reporting to, who was also a freaking idiot. Yes. Ugh. Yeah, he is. He definitely is. Um, and it, it's that's very clear, too, like, when they're shooting and it's like, can we stop now? No, because Visitor 3 will be mad. Just keep shooting. <laughs> He's got a um, sword, you idiots. We've all got swords. <laughs> oh, God. Axe is in a bush. Axe is in a bush, morphing a mosquito. So he makes it to Mosquito. We get a pretty gross description of that. And then he starts talking about the Mosquito instincts, which are very strong. Um, they didn't overtake his consciousness, but the, he's got this urge to find blood that he says is stronger than anything blood. he's felt. Blood! <laughs> Baby's got blood! <laughs> Popular internet memes of the early aughts. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, so they're like, Axe, don't fight it. Just go ahead and find the target. And so uh, he works his way into the room and uses the instincts to find the only human that's laying down, not moving. And kind of right as he lands on him, things just go pop. And all of a sudden, they're looking around into nothing because there is nothing in Z space. That's right. They were all pulled into Z-Space through incredible, incredible odds that were nigh on impossible until this particular book. My first instinct <laughs> was that the Elemist was back. Yeah, that that would have been... If they weren't, like, in so much pain and, like, starving... Not st oh, starving of oxygen. Yeah. yeah, suffocating. Thank you for the, the word I was looking for. <laughs> they both start with us. It's fine. I don't know. I'm just spewing words now <laughs> but um yeah if they weren't suffocating then that would be yeah I'd be like oh yeah it's the elemis but elemis they isn't are... about that 
Yeah, generally not. He's normally about saving them from impossible situations and then putting them right back in them. Yeah. Nice, Ellenist. Nice. Anyways, um, X can see, like, through them because they were, they're not, like, three-dimensional anymore, I guess, or not really. Like, he can kind of see through to, like, all the muscles and brain and hearts and everything. Um, and then he does notice there's a ship going past, and it's an Andalite ship. And that's what has pulled them out from their morph, all their extruded mass in Z-space, and brought them in there. Um, so he, with his dying breath, calls out to them. And then he dies. But then he wakes up. And he's fine. He's not dead yet. And now they know that at any point, they can get sucked into Z-space. Yeah, exactly. And Axe even says, like, the odds are just insanely low. But now that they're extruded in Z-space and pulled out there, the odds seem a little better than before. Gross. Yeah. Um, So Axe wakes up. And he's basically immediately assaulted by the Andalites on this ship. And he has this moment where he's like, I haven't seen a fellow one of my species in 0.7 Earth years. So, he's like or 0.7 Andalite years. He is. He's like really excited to see them, even though they're being dicks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they're like, they're questioning him about like, how are you here? Who are these people? Why are they with you? What's happening? Uh, and they quickly focus in on the whole, well, how did the humans get here, though, since no one has the ability to morph except Andalites, right? <laughs> and Axe says, no, they do have the ability to morph. And they, they were asking, like, oh, how did you meet them? And he's like, they rescued me. And then they're like, so who gave them the ability to morph? And he's like, I did. And they're like, then how did they rescue you in morph, Axe? And he's like... <laughs> I did. (laughs) Cindy Crawford. (laughs) Yeah, another Cindy Crawford moment. (laughs) Dana Scully. Um, Yeah, and they're like, the captain catches on very, very quickly. And he's like, has someone contacted the Andalite homeworld recently? And is someone under orders? And Axe is like, yes, I gave them the ability to morph. And then the, the technical officer is like, I never thought Elfangor would do that. (laughs) And the captain's like, that doesn't leave this room, dude. And, uh, it didn't. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, There is a very nice moment where he says, like, I served under Elfangor, and I'll tell you one thing. I believe he'd break the rules, but I would also believe he did it for a very good reason. Like, I love this blind faith these people have in Elfangor as a war hero. That's when I was like, oh, I like the captain. Unless he's a traitor. And then I don't like him. <laughs> well, good news. <laughs> <laughs> we won't spoil it yet. Yeah. They let Axe go back to his friends. And he's telling them all sorts of things about how they got there. And how they're a miraculous scientific miracle that's proved all of the theories about extruding in Z-Space incorrect. And Rachel's like, oh good, I feel so much better already. And X is like, ah, sarcasm. (laughs) So, I I really love these interactions. Yeah. I really do. Um... So yeah, then X starts telling them, like, when they're asking, like, where are we? Where are we going? X is like, we are on a ship and we're headed into a giant battle on the planet Lyra. And Rachel's like, yes, let's do it! 
And X is like, you cannot do it. <laughs> and uh, so he's like saying, you know, A, the Andalites are going to fight, but we're going to sit here quietly, not causing any troubles and never going on any adventures. <laughs> yeah. I which, you that. know. <laughs> Good. Which the Animorphs, of course, do without question. And that's how the book ends. Sitting <laughs> quietly on the ship. <laughs> uh, just kidding. It yeah. doesn't. Um, so Axe starts to, I guess, feel weird because he now has to tell them that not only are they not in battle anymore, but Jake's not his prince anymore. And he's also not one of them anymore. And he makes it clear through the tenses that he uses that if they make it back to earth, they will be going alone. Mm -hmm. And Tobias is immediately upset about this. He like, he kind of almost threatens him. Like, you're one of us. Like, you gotta, you're coming with us, dude. Mm -hmm. And Axe is like, okay. But he's not planning on following through with that at all. Mm -hmm. And he feels very conflicted about this interaction. Right. Yeah. What did you think at this point in the book when you were reading about Axe's confliction? Um... I mean, there was some indication earlier in the book, like, he kept saying, like, uh, I really treasured the memories that I have of, like, going over to Cassie's house for dinner, and, like, who are my own people, my race, my species, who are they? And I, you know, I kind of assumed there was going to be some sort of theme of, like, found family. It's his Mulan moment again. (laughs) Who? Yeah. Who am I? Um, Like, I I could see where he was coming from. Like, you know, he felt a little bit bad about being like, well, I'm with the Andalites now. Like, bye. Yeah. And they were all upset about that. But I kind of also figured that would happen. When will his reflection show who he is inside? There you go. Yeah. Axe is very conflicted about this. This is rough. So Axe gets called onto the bridge the Animorphs are told to stay in the medical bay and sit quietly doing nothing, which, of course, they do. And uh, he can't figure out why he was called up to be on the battle bridge with the captain, but there he is. Um, and they kind of start doing that weird Andalite bullying thing where they ask him, like, what should yeah. we do, Aritz Axe? Yeah. <laughs> and then he says something and they're like, wrong! <laughs> yeah. Why do they do that? I don't why? know. Like, I guess it's a teaching moment, but it's also kind of, like, a hazing humiliation sort of moment. Yeah, it's really, really mean. Yeah. Um, and then it's also, like, I, I think it's after this. I didn't write this in my notes because it was kind of a one-off thing that wasn't super important. But Axe points out after this that because they destroyed the Lyra... Um, the forces on Earth, like the mutated sharks that they were going to use to take over Lyra, because they blew up that whole facility and put that to an end, Axe goes, the only reason you can even have this battle is because the planet was not already overrun by the shark controllers, so you're welcome. Like, I'm the reason that you're able to to launch this assault today. And they're all like, ha ha, Axe, I don't think so. And it's, they don't say that to his face, but like, He's like, I can't tell if they're, like, laughing mocking me or laughing agreeing with me. Mm-hmm. Like, And it's true. He is the only reason that Lyra wasn't already taken over. Right. So he, like, abandons the Animorphs to go hang out with the Andalites. And the Andalites are just dicks to him. 
Yeah. And but they're like dicks to everyone. Yeah, maybe the Andalites are just dicks. And yeah. Well, and like he was saying that like you know, maybe am I ever going to be like normal again or am I going to be too influenced by the humans? And I think it's mm-hmm. kind of showing here. He's kind of like seeing the Andalites in a new way. Maybe. Yes. And I think some of his interactions, too, throughout the book just show how much he is influenced by the humans already. Mm-hmm. He definitely is seeing them in a new light. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyways, he's up on this on this battle bridge, and they're going towards Lyra. Um, the Andalites are all kind of, like, doing their own thing. The battle is called to start, and then all of a sudden, it turns out that there's a navigation malfunction as one of the the pilots calls out and they're like, we are now set to land behind Yerk lines. What do we do? And the tactical officer rushes over to one of the consoles to try and figure it out. And the captain just kind of calmly walks up to him when he's freaking out, like override it, override it. And he cuts off the tactical officer's tail (laughs) and everybody just turns to stare at, in my mind was like a writhing gecko's tail on the deck. I'm sure that's not, Really, I'm sure it would have just flopped because he is a mammal and so on. <laughs> but um, I, I thought of it kind of like a weird gecko thing where it just kind of like kept flipping away from him. <laughs> but that's <laughs> that's the moment where they realize that the captain's a traitor. Yeah, he is. So, yeah. And he basically tells him, we're going to be turning you into Visor 3 now. Yay. Wait, didn't he say Visor 4? Yeah, he's well. He's gonna turn them into Visor Four, who's close friends with Visor Three. So, like, basically, we're gonna make sure all of the Yerks know your secret—that you're a bunch of humans and one Andalite child fighting, kind of a thing. I mean, if he had been smart, he would have like gone and transmitted that information to somebody as soon as he left that room. But... That would have been smart. Unless I wonder if he couldn't because the communications were monitored, so he had to go through oh, some secret channel to yeah. reach them. Could be. Anyways, Axe freaks out and starts calling, like, Prince Jake, if you can hear me, Marco, Cassie, Rachel, you guys, there's a problem. And they're all like, yeah, dude, we're here on the bridge. (laughs) What up? (laughs) I hear everything you hear. (laughs) Yeah, they're on the bridge. They did not sit in the medical bay. I know I fooled you all, dear listeners, with my (laughs) earlier statement, but it turns out, no. They're like, okay, Axe now has to fight the captain. And they're like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. And Cassie's like, I'll distract him because I am on the captain. This is her trick, man. This is her trick. This is her best trick. (laughs) So she starts demorphing onto his back. And he, like, once she starts getting big enough because she was a flea, he starts, like, twisting around like, ah, ah, what is this? What's happening? Ah! Um, And then the... The technical officer just kind of beams him to death. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, you know, just kind of turns him into a bunch of molecules that spread around everywhere. But my favorite part was the moment of, like, shock and horror on his face before he disintegrated into particles. Yeah. I liked that. I liked that he had that moment of, like, ah, you've betrayed me. (laughs) Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, he, he he beams him to death. And then they're trying to figure out, like, what to do. The ship crashes to the ground. And the technical officer, who is just suffering from blood loss like crazy, like staggering around, 
he tries to take off. But the ship is like, no, I am too badly damaged because the ship can talk. (laughs) It was like, the main engines are too badly damaged. We can't. And so he's like, all right, you kids and Axe, morph small, get off the ship. And then he's like, everybody else, I'm going to fire the shredders on maximum blast and blow us to like skyward. So say goodbye. Yeah, it was this very... Very sad moment where the kids and Axe are all morphing into small bugs now. Axe says go fly, and um, Rachel just kind of scoffs at him and looks at Jake and said, what are we going to do? And Jake's like, yeah, just do what he says. They're like, Mm -hmm. okay, now we can go. So they start to go fly, and the technical officer basically just says to everybody on the ship, start the death ritual, because in three minutes we're dead. (sighs) And they all start chanting in their thought speech way the death ritual and axe joins in with them out of respect oh that was so heavy it was it was very heavy and it also it was an interesting start to our very first um true military battle i think that we've seen like the rest of the books are kind of the guerrilla warfare aspect Mm -hmm. of it and the espionage yeah and this was the first time it's like there are enemy lines here and enemy lines there and they are charging each other with weapons right now yeah um so this was a very interesting start of like we are behind enemy lines in enemy territory blowing up and killing us all is the only thing i can do to avoid capture like we are stuck here it's like it's just the first very militaristic wartime thing that we've seen i think yeah so it's interesting. It like at least it's obtainable because there's space battles as well, but like those still feel like, you know, operatic and technological and kind of far out of our realm. And this is the first thing that we can like tangibly feel as something we would know. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Um, at this point, once they get off the ship, they do make it out. They survive. They fly as far as they can as flies, and then stop and demorph, and. Everybody is looking to Axe for help. Like, we are in an unknown situation. You are the one that knows the most about alien planets. What do we do? And Axe just keeps, like, wildly looking around going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we do. I don't know. Stop asking. I don't know. Um, And he can't come up with anything. And Rachel and Marco are just, like, hammering him. Like... Come the fuck on, X. You got us into the situation. You're being a dick. You decide to go ahead and jump on board with your little buddies and ignore us. And it turns out he's a traitor. Good job, Axe. Way to go. Yeah. And, like, Tobias is kind of trying to defend him. And Jake isn't necessarily defending him. But he's... Like, Jake, I think, throughout this book made it very clear that even when he was annoyed with Axe, because Axe is going, I don't know, and just, like, not rising to the occasion, he made it clear to the team, I think, that he never doubted Axe. Even though all of that happened, he immediately got over it and just kind of very clinically was like, we still need you on this team, so get back to work. Yes! Oh, Jake is such a good leader in this book. He was. And he very much was. And I feel like he was much more I wouldn't say much more open to feedback, but like throughout the book he was kind of like looking for feedback and like evidence when Rachel was like, Okay, Axe just said this thing, but I'm gonna ignore him and 
like see what Jake says and Jake was like yeah absolutely that's the right call like yeah and like uh, there's a couple other moments where somebody will say like what if we do this thing and Jake's like yes that that's the that's yeah. the best call in this situation he's just such a good leader he is and he's like clearly you know more about the planet we're on and like how the how andalites work so like I'll defer to you for input in this scenario mm-hmm. but yeah he was really he was again shining in this book and i think that it was so important that jake did that because like how easy would it have been for him to be like well you didn't like you're willing to just jump on with any andalite that walks past what do i care what happens but yeah he was more mature and a bigger man than that yeah yeah like i understand he he knows his team yeah like I understand being mad at Axe for like ditching them, but it's not it's not Axe's fault that the captain turned out to be a traitor. Right, and Jake knows that, but Marco and Rachel are not willing to let that one go. <laughs> Stop fighting, um, you guys. And the other thing I loved about this was that even when Axe is going, I don't know, every time he says that, Jake goes, okay, he doesn't know. Tobias, go scout out the situation. Tell mm-hmm. us where we are. Yeah. And he's like, Axe, what should we do now? And Axe is like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, so-and-so, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Like, we're going to fly to here, and then we're going to demorph. Yeah. Like, he just, he keeps making good decisions, even though he's like, I'm looking for my intel, I don't have my intel, okay, here's the best decision anyway. Yeah. Like, I appreciated this moment yeah. a lot. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, and then Axe does, in this situation, like, once they get out of there, Axe re-swears his fealty to Jake, and he says, I am yours to command until you tell me to go. Until you tell me we are done. You are my prince. And Jake goes, okay. And just was like, I accept. (laughs) Which is interesting. Like, that's uh, such an interesting moment between Jake and Axe. Because we all know how much Jake is against being called prince and everything. And he even uses that, like, kind of as a joke to put Axe at ease immediately after. Like, he calls him Prince Jake again. And he goes, you know, don't call me prince. And just kind of smiles at him. But, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, And then they, so, Axe kind of, after re-swearing his fealty to Jake, I think feels a little bit less like he's spinning out of control, because now he has that power re-established in his life. And um, Jake asks who they can trust, and Axe says, probably no one. But we need to go find the commander because his entire family was killed by Yerkes, so he will not be a traitor mm-hmm. like the other dude was. So the mission is now go find the commander. Um, this is very difficult because where they landed, like where the ship crashed and where they are after escaping that ship is in like the no man's land between the two warring sides. So they have to get out of no man's land and go into the Andalite area before they can try to find this guy so um they want to find the fastest fastest morph they can to get there to cover the distance and also it's getting dark so they decide to go bat because they're like we can echolocate the whole way there and we can fly it'll be great um so they morph bat they start taking off and they have a, a brief respite where it's kind of fun being a bat because they're like dodging around all these rocks as they like you know speed towards the 
Andalite battlefront. So they're like, you know, trying to get there as fast as possible. But they're having a moment of levity. And then they start passing all of these, like, skirmishes that are happening. And the Yurk sides with the hork are just overrunning everything. And there's one area where there's a bunch of Andalites that were just defeated, probably are injured, and they bring in the tax and cleaning crew, which is yeah. as horrible as it sounds. Yeah. They're literally going to eat the dead bodies. Gross. I hate taxons. I hate taxons, but, like, I mean... We know how chilling it is when you, like, you know, you watch Lord of the Rings. You know that scene with the marshes of the dead? Oh, yeah. Right. And that's, like, a real thing that happens on battlefields where, like, the bodies in the low-lying areas, it fills up with water and you just see all these, like, dead bodies floating in these boggy areas. I, that's, for me, not quite as bad as bringing on these cannibalistic worms to eat all of the bodies off the battlefield. Yeah. I think I'd rather have that level creepy than this level creepy, where there's just blood and abandoned weaponry everywhere and nothing else. Neither is great. Neither's great. But... <laughs> and, like, you would never know, like, if somebody went missing and you didn't know what happened, it's not like you would ever be able to, like, recover their body or, like, if it was a human wore dog tags or anything, because the taxon would just eat it. So now there's all these families that don't even know what happened. That's horrible. But, um, anyways, there are some Andalites that are about to be cleaned up, and they're flying past, and it's, Axe is like, I want to help, but I just, like, I can't. I follow Jake. I do what he says. I don't, you know. And Cassie's the one that's like, oh, I think we should help. And Jake goes, we said we weren't going to get involved. We just have to get to the commander before, you know, everything goes to, to hell, basically. And Tobias goes, yeah, we did say that, so what are we really going to do? <laughs> and Jake goes, all right, demorph as fast as possible. Let's help. Um, but they don't even have time to jump in and help. Like, before they can even really demorph, there are hork running over them and taxons coming by. And Jake just goes, everybody get airborne, everybody up. Oh, my God, what happened? Are we all here? And Tobias is gone. Just gone. They're like... We gotta keep going. Um, yeah, Tobias is dead. <laughs> oh no. I mean, I guess I guess pretty instantly that this had to do with the Z space thing snapping yeah. back to reality. Whoa, there goes gravity. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, they do make it somewhat easy to guess here that it is actually something going on with with their z space issues because um nobody saw him got eaten he didn't cry out nothing got him per se he was just gone yeah so yeah <laughs> he's dead fluffer mckitty killed him <laughs> fluffer mckitty caught him as a bat and ate him oh yay anyways um yeah so tobias is gone um, then Axe realizes kind of where they are in relation to the no man's land battlefield and so on and, f- and so forth. And where the hork took over these Andalites that were injured and where the Taxons came in, he's realized that the Andalite front line is overrun. So the Andalite lines have been breached and they've lost the battle basically. And this is very quickly confirmed by these sort of ships, the Andalite ships taking off away from the battlefield. So it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Um and also while all of this is going on, Axe is like, we've lost, we've lost, we've lost. 
And Rachel is raging about losing Tobias. Cassie's crying. Marco is again at people's throats. Like, it's just a disaster. Um, And they kind of take a moment where they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And Cassie's the one that approaches Axe quietly and says, Jake doesn't want to have to ask you again. What do we do? And Axe goes, I don't know. So Cassie, of course, is very conscientious and knows how to get people to do their best work and she basically says okay tell me more about Lyrans and Axe goes well you know I don't know much more than you they're psychic like frog people but then he goes oh my god they're aquatic I know what the plan must be and he just says to Jake I can't tell you the plan do you trust me and Jake hesitates for a second and he goes okay I trust you and Axe goes okay but because they're psychic, if I get taken, you have to destroy me before they can, you know, get the word out from my mind. And Jake is like, all right, cool. Val, don't um, let them take me. Okay. It wasn't quite as heartbreaking as no. that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely those feels, right? Oh, Jesus. I like how Axe called him Jake instead of Prince Jake at one point. Yeah, there's definitely these moments like of what he calls him it gives you an idea of kind of how Axe is feeling towards him as a leader and so on and so forth and how comfortable they are versus when they're joking like he calls him Prince Jake more when they're joking around or when things are calm than he does in the heat of the moment (laughs) which I think Jake appreciates considering how many times he's like don't call me Prince (sighs) um They decide they know what they're going to be doing, and then Rachel disappears. She's just gone. They don't know what got her. They don't know what happened. They were just flying over this ocean on the way to get to the Andalite front lines because they made it off the land at some point. I don't know when. That Mm -hmm. wasn't me that fucked up. That's how the book went. (laughs) Suck it. Um, (laughs) I just got really aggressive. I'm sorry. (laughs) I am very uncomfortable with the (laughs) aura we've created in this podcast today. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they're flying over the ocean. Rachel's gone. And they just start freaking out. They're like, we don't know what got her. And Cassie's like, could they have fired from the sea? And they're like, no, we didn't hear anything happen. Like, we didn't hear Drake and fire. We didn't hear anything go wrong she's just gone so they freak out they dive into the ocean below and they're like okay let's go shark because the yurks tried to use that so there must be some reason why they thought sharks would work um they start swimming through this ocean and are immediately just in awe of all of the different varieties of plants and animal and god knows what else surrounding them there's like just this amazing, like, leaves and seaweeds and neon-colored worms and neon-colored corkscrew spirally snake thingies that swim through the water and all sorts of aquatic plants that are just bright, bright colors and crazy looking. Um, and there's also a bunch of, like, volcanic chimneys almost where stuff is coming out of, you know, how those, like, feed the different <laughs> flora on the seafloor. Yeah, they have those sort of volcanic vents everywhere, which we can presume and is later confirmed are just pumping nutrients into this water which is why it's such a rich diverse place um 
they make a lot of commentary about how, like, you know, ev every marine biologist could be completely consumed for a hundred years with work in just one, like, square mile of this insane oceanic planet. It's just that much stuff and that jam-packed with variety. It's so. beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, they then come across some Lyrans that are on these weird jet skis, underwater jet skis, <laughs> that are coming towards them, which I just imagine are those, like, scooters. Have you seen those for, like, people going underwater to explore stuff? They made, like, mopeds. What? Have you not seen those? Oh! Okay, it's for, like, people that want to go scuba diving. It's, like, these underwater mopeds that they just sit on and, like, scoot around underwater. Interesting. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. It's okay. pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so they see the Lyrans on these underwater scooter things, and they start to reach out to them like, hey, hey, we're, we're Andalites, we're here to help. And the Lyrans just start attacking them with thin spears. They start, like, shooting stuff at them. And that's when they realize these aren't real Lyrans, these are Lyran controllers. And Marco's like, let's get in there and fight! <laughs> <laughs> Which was a fun take for Marco to say. Um, so they start to fight the Lyrans, and they're trying not to, like, completely destroy them. Um, but there's a moment where one of the Yerks is so distracted when they're in the middle of this battle that the Lyran was able to get a psychic message through that basically just says, Bite the back of my head off! <laughs> <laughs> so... Axe is like, okay, and Cassie's like, no, you're gonna kill them, and Axe is like, too late, so he, like, slaps this one Lyran to stun it, and then turns around and bites off the back of its, like, globe, globule head, and this removes the whole yerk in the bite from the back of the brain, and it actually frees the Lyran, and then Cassie, like, they, they find the other ones, they fight the other ones, they get the yerks out, and Cassie goes, okay, but you guys are gonna die now because we just, like, bit out half your brains, and they're like, oh, no, we'll be fine. It grows back. We'll just go sit in that cave over there. Man, it's <laughs> such a weakness for the Yerk. Yeah. I mean, I can totally see, like, the pros-cons list of this, though. Like, it's a weakness for the Yerk, but, like, psychic powers. Yeah, that's true. It's, I mean, I'd take that. If I were a Yerk, personally... <laughs> I'd be okay with I, that. I'd be okay with that trade-off, for sure. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so once the Lyrans are free, and they, they're all deciding they're going to go to these caves, and they're going to be fine, they're talking about, like, okay, now we just got to keep going, and the Lyrans are like, well, there's more Lyran controllers on the way to the Lyran underwater city. And they're like, okay, well, what do we do? And it's they're not even able to finish these thoughts and conversations before the Lyrans are like, yes, yes, we consent. Take our bodies. Use our bodies to get there. And like Cassie's like, but. And they're like, yes, we know. You don't want to morph sentient creatures, but we want you to. We really, really want you to. Please. <laughs> so, please, for the love of God, take morph us. <laughs> please take my body. Yeah. So they all go up to the surface where the kids demorph, axe demorphs, and they start acquiring the Lyrans. And there's these little vignettes that are really cool of, like, Axe saying, you know, that the tactical officer on the ship is, he thought that fighting with another species would make you weak. That species that are different can't fight together because they fight differently from each other and they could never get along on the battlefield. And he goes, I don't agree with that. And then Marco makes this awesome comment about any any 
persons, not of human origin, of any sort, coming together to fight for freedom could never be weak. Which was just such a cool thing in that moment. I don't know if that's a quote, though. Like, I didn't look it up if that was actually quoting somebody or if that was just something that Marco came up with. So, that would be interesting to find out. But it was very, very beautiful. (laughs) And, of course, they're, like, you know, floating, bobbing in this, like, basically neon orange or neon blue ocean with the orange sunset reflecting on the water in the golden light so like you know of course it's gorgeous the picturesque whole time. as fuck picturesque well they float together the three of them all forming a bond to come together to fight off the yerk invader it's beautiful yeah they have that touching moment and then they morph to lirans the lirans give them their underwater scooters and they are on their way they rush to the city of lyra the Lyran city, I guess. That's I do like this naming convention of the planet is Lyra. They're Lyrans. The cities are Lyran city. Lyra, the city of Lyra. Like it's <laughs> they all don't very. Fuck they don't fuck around. They don't. Come, it's not like oh, they're humans of the planet Earth and the city is Boston. No, they don't fuck <laughs> around, you guys. The planet is Lyra. They're Lyrans. It's Lyran city. Get it together, Earth. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they make it to the Lyran city, and they are not stopped along the way, because of course they look like they're supposed to be there. Um, but once they make it to the city, there's the concentration of all of the Lyrans, and they also see Andalite submarines, which Axe mentions he's only seen pictures of. He's never seen one in real life. Which, of course, why would he? <laughs> we all live in an Andalite submarine. Oh no. happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I So, one time I went to a Beatles cover band concert, oh. which was shitty in and of itself, right? <laughs> but <laughs> the only song I know, or knew at the time, now I know more, but the only song I knew at the time was Yellow Submarine. And, like, then when they played it, they did, like, one of those, like, we're gonna mesh this into another song that's not Yellow Submarine. And I'm like, this was the three minutes of this entire concert I was waiting for, and you just ruined it for me. Oh, no! They did, like, a mashup? Yeah, it was, like, like it was... style? Um, not Glee style, because it was more like we're transitioning from this song into, like, this uh, song and then into a third song. Like a medley? So, yeah, yeah, it was a medley. Oh. Which always makes me think of vegetables. Whenever anybody says vegetable medley, medley. isn't that <laughs> that's all I get? The that's code. like a V8 flavor or something, right? I wouldn't know because V8's the worst drink ever made. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so bad. Oh, my friend's like, you should try the smoothies though; they're really good. I'm like, I don't trust them. Oh, um, yeah, the smoothies are actually pretty good. The they're like strawberry and banana, so they're not weird. Banana. this podcast brought to you by v8 (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wish actually i don't because then they you know how they like sponsors send you the stuff to try oh you don't want that shit (laughs) yeah they send us v8 and i'd be like why did you do this this is the worst don't want this take it back take it back take your sponsorship back (sighs) i don't want your money v8 juice jesus Take your stupid ketchup water back. <laughs> ketchup water. Mustard water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only Axe would like this bullshit. <laughs> only Harry Potter then, likes that hog it's okay. shit. <laughs> hey, I'd take a squirt sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Squirt's better than V8, that's for sure. 
Uh, <laughs> wow, we just did like 20 in-jokes. All right. That was, I don't even know if we can recount all the transitions there, but it was definitely some very Potter musical. Yes. And definitely some McElroy content. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, they make it to the Lyran City. There's an Andalite submarine. They can see the Andalite warriors rushing around, carrying stuff and setting stuff down, which is helpful in some way, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the Lyrans can all read their minds, of course, in this crazy city. So they are not stopped at all. Like, nobody comes up and questions them. In fact, they help them when they're like, where do we go? They're like, the, the Lyrans projected the route into our heads. So they just follow it. They get to this Andalite platform of some sort where they can enter where the Andalites are. And as the doors open, there's just these Andalites standing there that are like, all right, Demorph, let's go. We're taking you to the commander. Because they could all, they were already told with this crazy open free thought thing. Everybody already knows what's going on. It's a Christmas miracle. Oh, oh, oh. And, and when they first morphed into the Lyrans, the kids, um, they, like, immediately saw everyone's, like, thoughts and hopes and dreams and fears. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what was it, Marco was like, whatever thoughts of mine that you're currently reading, they're totally made up. They're not real. Yep. And I was just like, no, you guys need to talk to each other more. This is good for you. Yeah. Bond with each other. Bond with your lions. Trauma bond, damn it. Trauma bond. <laughs> and they all just were like, okay, well. <laughs> this is awkward. That's over with. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, I can understand, though, like, why they would be extra sensitive to that, just with the whole Yerk threat thing. Mm. I can see why they'd be, like, extra, don't read my thoughts. <laughs> get out of my head. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, by the time they get there, the Andalites are ready to escort them. So they demorph, and they're like, okay, we're taking you to Commander Galowit, which is a very cool name. I wrote it down multiple times because I liked it so much. So his full name... Let me see if I can find it. I wrote it down. Oh, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you going to... Because his last name is... is um, yes. I believe, if I remember correctly, that that does not denote that they're related at all. Like, it's just a common name. Like, okay. all three names are, like, first names for Andalites. I gotcha. Okay. That was... Yeah. That's kind of what I figured, that it was just, like, mm-hmm. a really common name, like, Smith or whatever. But... Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yup. So, um, as they are being taken to meet Galowit, he he comes running down the hallway with his commander, or his technical officer as well, and they're basically like, hello, we are, and he's like, there is no time. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, okay, Axe, and Axe is like, no, my prince is Jake, and he's like, yes, okay, Axe, anyways this, and Axe is like, no, you need to talk to Jake. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) so he's like, unconventional but we're in a hurry so okay hello jake prince jake and uh he's like jake may i ask for your help and jake's like yes he's like i haven't even told you what i need and jake is like will it help us help our friends and kill yurks and galowitz like it will especially the third one and jake is like i'm in and so galowitz like this guy he's pretty cool he's all right He's alright. Cool. Yep. And then he like private thought speaks Axe and he's like, there's worse princes you could have. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Stamp of I approval. like this guy. Yeah. I really like this guy. Like a lot. Yes. Even though he does not seem to approve of Elfangor right away. <laughs> for what's for some reason. He made some comment in the interaction about like 
It's a pity that Alfangor did this. I'm very disappointed in him. <laughs> that dumb <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> that dumbass. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. So Galloway is like, it cuts to them getting the mission. And Galloway's like, we want you to get past the Yurk lines. That's really important. We have a series of bombs set up that we are going to set off to blow up the entire surface of the planet. Called it. He's kind of like, yeah. And he's like, don't worry, the Lyrans live mostly underwater. It will not really affect them if we blow up the surface of the planet. There's not a lot of it. It's totally fine. So they're like, all right, cool. And he's like, but to set up the bomb, that was on this particular ship that you guys were just on a little while ago. And for some reason, they didn't arm anything. And Axe is like, oh, that would be because they are a traitor. <laughs> just one. But, <laughs> yeah, just all of them are traitors. Um... <laughs> While this conversation is happening, it's suspiciously quiet and devoid of terrible, terrible jokes. That is because Marco has disappeared. No. Yeah. And Galloway is the first one to notice. He's like, I thought there were more of you. <laughs> and that's when they're all like looking around like, ha, huh, ha, huh, Marco, no, Marco. <laughs> um, so Galloway calls over the science officer. And it's this like three-way conversation piece where one of it is the the conversation that I just recounted with, like, you know, they're traitors. That's why the bombs aren't going off. Meanwhile, the science officer is asking them questions as well and, like, trying to come up with a theory of what's happened to their friends because, obviously, Marco wasn't killed here. And then um, Gallowit is, like, talking to a science officer, and he's like, what's happening? Science officer is like, I don't know. He's like, give me your best guess. And that's when we come up with this whole Z-Space snapback effect. So they're still trapped somehow in this extruded matter on I'm assuming what happened was like kind of the slingshot effect where the inverse happened so there's now a mosquito bit of them on earth but the rest of their bodies are here on Lyra and so what's happening is that the, as the tension builds they're kind of being snapped back hopefully not stuck in Z space but potentially stuck in Z space or they're going back all the way through to earth where they're back like mosquitoes again so the worst case scenario is that they're all dying in Z-Space one at a time, and every time somebody pops, disappears, they die a horrible death where wow. they're crushed and, and killed. Wow. But theoretically, they might also be going back to Earth and be totally fine. <laughs> Just, you know. No pressure. One or the other. No pressure. No, nothing wrong. And Galloway, he kind of like... He takes us all in stride, and he goes, Well then, I guess under these circumstances, with you guys all snapping back, like... I'm not going to ask you guys to do this crazy mission. I'm sorry. And Jake was like, why not? We've got nothing left to lose. And I like to think Galloway gave him an official seal of approval times two at that moment. <laughs> Double stamp. Double stamp. I, yeah, I really like Jake's attitude here because he was just like, I, there's nothing I can do. So let's just do whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there were three. So, they're discussing the battle plans with Galloway, or the mission plans, really. And he's saying, like, hey, you guys have more morphs than any of my warriors. Because, as you said a little while ago, Andalites don't really acquire morphs. Mm -hmm. For some reason. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wasted on them, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really kind of is. Oh. Stupid. Whatever. Um, so they're deciding what morph they're going to use to get to the Bright Hole. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the dumbest name of all time. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, basically a bright hole is where a some sort of volcanic nutrient-rich thing has created a hole in the earth, and it leads to this pocket cavern that is filled with amazing plants and is so nutrient-rich and diverse and bright that it gives off its own light. So it literally is a bright hole in an underwater cavern. Delicious. That's it. That's all a bright hole is. So... <laughs> cool <laughs> um the kids are like okay great i think we should go hammerhead again because it's the only th way we can swim they talk about uh the salt content of the rivers because they do have to swim upstream a river to get to the bright hole where this the andalite intelligence has indicated that the switch to set off all the bombs is so they talk a little bit about like uh oh, hammerheads are saltwater fish but it should be fine so they head out as hammerheads because that's what they can fight in. It's the best morph. I would have gone dolphin, but that is just me. Well, you would have had an orca morph. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Although then again, then you'd have to stay by the surface to breathe. So oh, they're true. actually, yeah, hammerheads probably better. Nice. Anyways, idiots. <laughs> me, I mean, I'm the idiots no. in this scenario. So um, they head out, they're going upstream, and as soon as they see Lyran controllers, the Lyrans kind of read their brains, scan their brains, and take off full speed. And Jake's like, after them, go get them. So they're swimming as fast as they can, trying to chase down these Lyrans. The Lyrans are getting to shallow water to get up on land and warn the Horkbizur controllers, but the Animorphs are able to attack them in shallow water. In fact, factoid, that is where most shark attacks happen, are in three feet or less of water. Dun dun dun. FYI. Animorphs, following statistics. Yeah. Booyah. Nice. So um, they go after the Lyrans, and they are attacking them, but not before one of the controllers gets out to the hork like, they're going to blow up the planet! There's bombs everywhere! So um, the hork do know. <laughs> but then the kids bite the back of their heads and free them from their yerks, and all is well. Woo. Except for, you know, the entire rest of this. Also, Cassie disappears. <laughs> yeah. She's dead. Just as an aside. She's gone Just now. as an aside. Cassie's gone now. It's only Axe and Jake. And Jake's like, well, I guess it's the two of us now. They make it to the cave. And once they kind of like... It, it's kind of hard to picture this, but it sounds like almost like there's air up top in the cavern. And there's kind of a way that they had to underwater come up and get into it. The only other way to get into the bright hole is to shoot down through the surface with, like, weaponries or whatever to, to clear it. So they've gone up this river, come up into the cave, and it is now air in there now, not water. So with their with their hammerhead shark morphs, they sense kind of, oh, it's air. They demorph. They're standing in just a little bit of shallow water in there. And everything's kind of dark they can see like up above where they're supposed to be going but not really so jake's like okay let's go bat we can fly through this with our echolocation okay great they did not take into account that just like 10 pages ago they mentioned that the snakes that inhabit this cave hunt with echolocation so <laughs> feel like that was a little short-sighted but hey whatever oh also they have to go through the cave of snakes cave that of hunt snakes. with echolocation <laughs> Cave of snakes! Motherfucking snakes! In a motherfucking cave. <laughs> <laughs> Who put all these snakes in this cave? <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so they're flying for a little while, and things are okay, but then they make it to Snake Cave, <laughs> and 
the, <laughs> the snakes are all echolocating to hunt them, and it makes this confusing cacophony of sound where it's literally distorting the edges of their bat vision. And Axe, after a while, gets a little lost and doesn't know which way is up, and his wings, he's like flying through and kind of getting... The snakes are striking, and they're kind of, like, just shredding his wingtips because he's not getting caught, but he's also not really avoiding them as well because of the nonsense happening in his head. But he does eventually make it out of the top of Snake Cave and get into the bright hole portion with all the plants that are glowing iridescent in the dark, or whatever you call it. Um, Jake's gone. It's only Axe now. Wee! Yeah. Jake, this was the one that they are really unsure about, I think. Like, Axe is like, oh, he must have snapped back. But, like, Jake could have been eaten in that cave and Axe never would have known. Yeah, that's true. But, whatever. We're gonna say he snapped back and it's all fine. So, Axe makes it to this creepy bright hole cave. Um, he's like, everything's really alive. Like, all the plants are very vibrant and they're glowing and he's demorphing on this big moss platform that was bright orange. But he's like, but the cave also feels really dead and really creepy. And he doesn't quite know why. He can't place it. But it's kind of slowing him down a little. He's, like, looking around. He gets back to Andalite. And he sees where this beacon is, where he can flip the switch. And he starts going towards it. And then he starts trotting towards it. Like, okay, I gotta get there. Gotta get it. And that's when the top of the cave is just blown wide open. Like, huge explosion. And he starts running as fast as he can towards the switch. Meanwhile, Horkbizier are now, like, jetpacking down through the ceiling with their Horkbizier jetpacks that are glowing bright red with fire. <laughs> it's just insane. Like, that's not right at all, but whatever. Um, and they're screaming at Axe and firing at him, and he's making this mad dash towards the device. He's like, I don't care if I break a leg. He's tumbling and tripping. He's just getting there as fast as he possibly can. He gets shot at, and it burns across his back. He feels the Draken beam burn, and he screams, but he grabs the device, and he's like, oh shit, what's the code? What's the code? But he manages to punch it in, and then through the built-in comm, he messages them, because they're like, we are going to give you a half hour to escape. And he just says, do not give me a half hour. Detonate immediately. Detonate right now. And so the countdown begins of 10, 9, 8. And the hork comes up to him with a draken being leveled at him and is saying, don't blow it up. Don't do it. And Axe is basically like, screw you. I'm definitely going to blow it up. I don't care if I die. And as the countdown gets to one, the hork fires the draken beam at Axe. But then, pop, he's gone. Perfect timing. Perfect, perfect timing. But they're not out of danger yet, because Axe is once again a mosquito. And now, there's a giant hand coming down, about to slap him. He barely makes it out of there. Um, yeah, so it snaps back to the hospital, and Aldershot has almost just crushed them with his hand. And uh, the controllers are still firing their guns into the bushes, because no time at all has passed in this room. So, controllers are going nuts, and they're still screaming, and then Aldershot has woken up, and they're like, we don't have orders of what to do if he wakes up. What do we do? And they're like, run. They're like, should we run? <laughs> run should away. we keep shooting? Yeah, and then another controller is like, just run. We don't know what to do. Nobody accounted for this. And so, yeah, they literally go screaming, running with their arms out of the hospital. The with their arms flailing, and, like, they've dropped the guns, and they're just like, whoa, 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 whoa,
Yes, like oh, Zoidberg. Amazing. Um, it, it, it is amazing. And then the nurse walks in and she's like, "It, you're awake. And he's like, I am. Did you know there's a shit ton of mosquitoes in here? <laughs> and scene. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a goddamn mess. What a cartoon. <laughs> it is a cartoon. Mm. Um, yeah. And then we cut to, I assume the following day, the kids are at the mall recounting everything that happened. And they're asking Axe more about this snapback effect. And Axe is saying, like, oh, this changed everything about the way that we think of how we extrude mass and disease space. And this has pulled apart many Andalite theories that we've held about how this all works. And he goes, yanked is a really weird word. <laughs> and Marco goes on this tangent about, like, dear diary, today everything was normal until someone said the word yanked. And then it got weird. <laughs> So. Dear diary, today I was pompous and my sister was crazy. It was the best day ever. <laughs> oh, Firefly, how I love you. Oh, that's the second one reference I've made today. Both from Jane. And it was just the uh, the anniversary not too long ago oh, really? of Firefly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like um, and then X goes ahead and says Jake, or my prince formerly known as Jake, <laughs> because that's the worst joke of all time that Jake made. <laughs> I laughed. It is amazing. I laughed a lot, too. And Marco's like, oh, no, you're telling terrible jokes now. And Jake's like, hey, that was my terrible joke. And that made it worse somehow. <laughs> like, they didn't laugh when Axe said it, but they were amused. But then when Jake said that's my joke, they're like, oh. Poor Jake. Okay, then. <laughs> they don't want to let him have his comedic moments. Nope. Yeah. So while they're all sitting around making these jokes and talking about how weird Yanked is and making sarcastic mouth noises, X says, maybe these really are my people. Aww. And that's where the book ends. Aww. Yeah. Oh. So, oh my god, a lot of conversation about loyalty and who your real family is and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Uh... I don't know. I'm really happy that X decided in the end that that the Animorphs were his his people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was sweet. Yeah. It, it was. And, like, I don't... I loved it a lot. I, <laughs> I thought the ending was, like, a little abrupt, though. Like, I feel like there's a lot of ends that are still loose that need to be tied up like i thought that too and then i looked at the page count of this and this is i think one of our longer ones really so i think so it was a well okay so it's kind of on target it was 161 pages and normally we clock in around 150 154 somewhere like that oh, okay so i think it it felt that way to me too um like, wrapping up the controllers that were shooting, the way they stopped was they just ran away screaming, like... Yeah. I was like, yeah, no. Well, and, like, we never figured out if the traitor captain guy, why, kind of, like, what his motivations were, which I hope we'll come back to later. Um, and, like, yeah. they opened up this whole, like, discussion about if there were more traitors or if Visser 3 had stepped foot on the homeworld... Like, they opened that up at the beginning of the book, and then they never really, like, went back to it. Followed through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, this could have almost been a whole other 
um, Chronicles book. Mm-hmm. The Axe Chronicles. The Axe Chronicles. And I, I mean, they got to go to a whole different planet. Like, we got to see how they fought on a planet that wasn't Earth. All the kids finally got to go to, like, an alien world where they've never, they've never been on anything like that before. And it was this whole battlefront mission where they actually got to, like, finally get a tangible, we are in a battle with front lines against front lines and no man's land. Like, an actual, you know, World War Two or, mm-hmm. you know, like, one of those kind of battles. And we never explored it further than rushing through it. Yeah, I thought battle morphs were going to come out at some point, but they never did. No, no. And although... That I kind of like because I always feel like the Andalites never think about using the smaller morphs. Like, they never use insect morphs. or Like, they talk about Andalite spies, but they don't ever really bring it up, like, in depth. Mm -hmm. It's always in passing. So, I kind of liked that it was, like, a whole spy morph book instead of battle morphs. Other than hammerhead sharks, which, uh... Yeah. Eh. Eh. Yeah, it was interesting. It was very interesting, but I, I like this book a lot because I like that it brings up um, the questions about Axe having loyalty to humans or to Andalites and the way that it, again, team builds because of them being loyal to Jake. Mm-hmm. I like that aspect of it. And I, I, of course, loved all the silly moments of Axe. <laughs> all of them. Because there were a ton, like, even... In battle, like, with the hork and stuff, there'd be moments where, like, the hork was like, disarm that immediately, and Axe was like, I don't think so! <laughs> I was I was just gonna say, Axe still managed to make several jokes about how humans stand up to, on two legs, and it's amazing that they don't fall over. Right. Which is a staple and, like, at this point. <laughs> it, it is. And, like, you know, oh, when so-and-so stood up and miraculously didn't fall over. Yeah. Like, and the fact that this whole important book started with, like, him eating so many cinnamon buns that he almost died. <laughs> oh. Baby. Mm. Um, Cassie and Rachel had a pretty good exchange um, earlier in the book when they were acquiring the mosquitoes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I totally knew you were going to bring that up. That's why I didn't write it down. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're acquiring the mosquitoes and Cassie's saying, like, we don't all want to acquire the same mosquito. Um, only the females suck blood. The males are useless. And Rachel goes, amen. Uh, uh. <laughs> Sick burn, you guys. Uh, and then Marco did have another pretty funny joke in that moment where it's like, how do you tell the difference? And Cassie's like, I don't know. And Marco's like, the males will find lo- loud belching funny and the females won't. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, Marco. Marco. Do the do the female Horkbajir put put makeup on their wrist plates? <laughs> oh god, you Marco. You monster. You oh. sexist monster. <laughs> You little baby male chauvinist. And it's funny because, like, he clearly admires Rachel so much, who's, like, not a tomboy, but, like, you know, probably one of the most boss male personalities ever. Like, she's the person that would be in the boy, the good old boys club, you yeah. know, as the first female there. Yeah. And she, he's still. Oh, ugh. I'm pretty sure he does it to get a rise out of her. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh. It's just still funny that he's the one making those comments. Yeah. Well, speaking of Rachel and Marco, I I do have a moderate 
confession to make. What? I had a Rachel moment this past week. Oh no! <laughs> Who did you kill? I didn't kill anyone, but I was in an argument about, I don't even remember what, it was so unimportant, and at some point during the argument, I realized that I was wrong, and I just doubled down on my argument oh. instead of admitting that I was <laughs> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, maybe I shouldn't be reading so much animals. <laughs> I'm a grown ass adult and I'm not wrong, damn it. <laughs> I think yep. it kind of depends on who you're arguing with, though, and like what the nature of the argument is. Yeah, it wasn't anything super important. It, it was just something minor and stupid. Um, but I definitely. <laughs> I made the conscious decision during the argument. Yeah, I was like, no, I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to keep going. And then, like, after I was doing that for a while, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. <laughs> this is like Rachel. Oh, God. <laughs> I've been reading too much Animorphs. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. It was funny once I realized it, but at the time I was just getting really angry, and I'm like, <laughs> no matter what it takes. I will, I will die on this hill. I will die on this mound I've made for myself. This mound of lies I sit on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I appreciate that. I'm glad because I don't think anyone else would. But at least you have like a sense of self-awareness. It took a while, but yeah. That's my, that's my Animorphs confession of the week. Nice. (laughs) I just want to eat cinnamon bun right now. Oh my god, me too. Oh. This is the downfall of Axe books. I know, (laughs) they're so hungry. I I leave this recording so hungry. But I mean, there was that time where we went on a tangent about Boston Market and how much we wanted fucking mashed potatoes. Yeah, and then there was the time that I just kept saying I want tiramisu so badly, and then I yeah. saw it at Jewel Frozen, and I just yelled at it like, <laughs> "I want to eat you, but I'm not gonna, cause I'm only one person. I can't eat a whole cake." <laughs> so I like that so much. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh god, now I want mashed potatoes and cinnamon buns. Oh my god. I just want my my bami sandwich I have. I have a tofu bami sandwich from Comet in the fridge and also oh, cheesecake. You went to Comet? I did go to Comet. Oh my god, I want to go to Comet. Can we go to Comet when I come out to visit you? Um 100% yes, we will be. Yeah. We'll be we'll be in undisclosed city anyways because we'll be recording animorphs with undisclosed people in undisclosed location. Hell yeah. So we can go to undisclosed food place named Comet. Excellent. <laughs> yep. Cool. <laughs> that, was, that was a nice save there. <laughs> yep. So it's a plan now. Nice. So sweet. At this point, um, these are all the except for one outstanding Rachel book, which I don't remember which one it was. Um, it's one of the later ones. I think it's in the forties. Um, this is all of the Animorphs books I have ever read in my life. The beginning of the end for you. There were brief moments um, reading up to this point that I kind of remembered from when I read them in in college. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did not remember a single thing about this book apart from there were mosquitoes. And that's only because the cover has fucking axe morphing into a mosquito. Or morphing out of a mosquito? I don't know. So do you think that you didn't read this book then maybe? I know I did because I had like um, I have a full disclosure. I have eBooks of this, and I have mm-hmm. a folder um, 
with all the ebooks in it, and then I have a separate folder that says done. And so when mm-hmm. I would finish the books, I would move them into that folder. So that's how I knew I had read this book. Okay. So, so I'm I'm starting I'm starting fresh, and I don't know what's gonna happen, and I'm very scared because you keep dropping hints about the next book, and it concerns me greatly. <laughs> it's it's another book where we ha- have deep discussions about things. Oh no. Yeah, we are very, very solidly out of the fun, innocuous adventure parts now, like book 14, where, like, you know, we find an Andalite toilet. Like, we are, at this point, we are getting into the big ideas of Animorphs, and every single book is kind of going to hammer important ideas every time. Or maybe not, like, you know, we're also getting towards where the Ghost Riders are, too, but those books are still... Like, they still follow those theories and arcs and, and things. and yeah. Um, yeah, but we're strictly out of, like, the, the fun, good times Animorphs Aww. books. Yeah, it's sad, but it's... I mean, look at how much Jake is growing. Do you, Could we really go back to that now? Yeah, true. We're past it with our character arcs. As long as, as Marco keeps making jokes and Axe keeps saying cute adorable things and everybody's occasionally having a good time i need a couple of bright rays of sunshine in my despairing books of death (laughs) yes there's always a silver lining somewhere cool and that is everything i have on this same all right sweet should we wrap it up so we can go get some cinnamon buns and cheesecake yes oh my god (laughs) i need it in my mouth and face let's do it all right so if you guys want to find us on the internet because that's where we live and nowhere else um you can find us at animorphsanonymous.com and uh facebook oh god you usually do this section you're better than me (laughs) (laughs) i was like hey man let's see how long this goes (laughs) i'm down okay that's okay. Um, you can also find us on Facebook.com. We are Animorphs Anonymous, or you can join our private secret group where we talk about secret, secret things, which is the Andalite Bandalite group. Um, you can find that by going to Facebook.com slash group slash Animorphs Anonymous. You can also find us on the Tweetor where we are at Animorphs Anon. We are on Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous. We are on... What other social media do we have? Oh, we have an email, which is anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. We are on multiple different podcasting platforms, including Stitcher and iTunes and Google Play when they don't fuck it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Pocket Cast, which is from Google Play. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, so it still stands. We are on Podbean. We are on multiple other platforms that are small, like Podcast Republic and things, which isn't small, but we're on there too. So um, if you want to look us up there, we are on Spotify, but not as a podcast. We just have super cool playlists from each one of the characters that we add to every once in a while. So check those out as well. Woo. And I think that's it. Nailed it. Um. Thank you to everyone who entered our giveaway contest. Uh, we absolutely loved all the entries and have subsequently written back to you to tell you that. We'll hopefully be doing another one of those in the coming books. 
We definitely will. Because uh, that was super fun, and we loved it. Um, so, yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you, guys. We love you. Yes, thank you so much. Those were so much fun to read through. <laughs> um, I think that's it. We must leave to contact our home worlds. And eat some noms. And eat some cinnamon buns. I will contact y'all later when I need my stomach pumped. <laughs> we- <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Bye. Bye.